your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. There it is. Broncos bravado. That means UW lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski is in here on a Friday. Happy Friday, Rick. That's his tagline every Friday. He walks into the door at the Wisdom Studios. That's what he says in that tone of voice. Happy Friday, Rick. Exactly that intonation. It's like a like if you if I had it on a button on here and I could just hit it every time. Happy Friday. It would be this. You have the same. It starts a little high, like happy, then goes down to the Friday, Rick. And and it's fine. I mean, it is Friday. People people are in a good mood on Friday. We haven't. And I'll, I'll just say, if you're if you get a day, a, a vacation day, never take Friday off. No, use that vacation day on Monday, the next right. Monday, because right. you want the three day weekend, you want that Monday feeling to disappear. The Friday feeling, people go to work on Friday, they they're they're, they're kind of excited, and they probably don't get any work done either. Well, you know the big thing that the kids talk about nowadays is Sunday scaries, where you get nervous or you have a hard time relaxing on Sunday because you're so focused on Monday. Yeah, there's there's uh I mean capitalism has given us a two-day weekend. For some reason we figured out that there's uh 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. There's not there's 16 hours in a day because the other 8 were sleeping. So we've given half of our day to the work force. That 8 hours by the way is really optimistic for me when baby arrives. <laughs> And then the other half of this is like, hey, well, well, you know what? There's seven days in a week. We'll give you five of them. Like, who who determined that? Is that is that Ford? Uh, the, I, I feel like he came up with uh, what's his name? The guy Henry the, Ford. Henry Ford, yeah. right? Hank Ford. Uh, <laughs> I call him Hank. Um, he. I, I You've feel got like a good vibe came, with them. So. But we need uh, we need to. I always say we should have a Wednesday. Wednesday hump day should be the off day. We have middle of the week. We get that day off, or you just roll it to Monday. Honestly, if I had to pick a day of the week to take off, Wednesday would probably be my choice because it's smack dab in the middle of the week. Yeah, you split the week up, right? You think about it. Every could you imagine going into work every day and you go, "I got to get through these two days." Yeah, and then oh, and but but the way we do it now is Saturday, Friday night, you get done, you're exhausted, mm-hmm. go to sleep. I mean. Saturday, you do laundry and you kind of get things done, and maybe you go, maybe you go out to eat on Saturday, mm-hmm. or if you're in college, you just go out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, and then Sunday you sit there and anticipate your work day the next day, or if you're a journalist, you work because sure. Sunday you need to start set up the news on Sunday for Monday's news run. So we're yep. we're working on Sunday. Uh, 608-785-7914. I don't know who who would be against the three day weekend. I don't I don't know who would except all of the corporations, right? Like we're not going to. Well, work. let's at least ha- agree to have a three day weekend on Super Bowl weekend, so that Monday is off. Yeah, and and also move Super Bowl Sunday to Saturday, or do that, or to Monday. Yeah, if we're going to do the weekend thing. I when I was a sports journalist, at one point we had all our sports people in a meeting in an. As a sports journalist, you don't even get Saturday off. You work, you literally work Tuesday to Saturday, and you work until midnight every night. So, like the, the the social life of my prime, like going out and meeting people, years was I'm a sports journalist, and we were at a sports meeting. Everyone's sitting around the table, and I just I'm like, hey, you guys, what about if we 
come up with a system where we have a rotating Saturday off, like every other Saturday we get off. And and the boss at the time, he's like, yeah, Rick, uh, that's it's a pretty good, a good idea. I'll write that down. We'll talk about it. And I was like, this is where we all stand up and go, no, actually, this is we, that is the thing. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to figure out how to do it. And we'll figure it out right now. We're all at the table. But that didn't happen. Yeah, that plan went right in the trash. <laughs> yeah, it never happened. I loved it. I, I left. Um, 608-785-7914 is the talking text line if you want to get in here. Can I, can I talk about what where you just were before sure, this? Yeah. Okay, so you and you can tell us, but I want to bring up the scenario. So give <laughs> us the breakdown on your wife's pregnancy and where we're at. So she is very pregnant. And by the way, Rick, the reason why I bring up having Wednesday off is because as she has become extremely pregnant, she's now taking Wednesdays off. Oh. Just because it's such a slog to work when you're carrying an enormous child in you. And the child is indeed enormous. She's on the way within a couple weeks. And we were just at Gunderson in Alaska doing an appointment. So I was thinking, so she's due in a couple of weeks. So she could come in. I mean, you could be leaving could the be show anytime. right now. And yeah. I was thinking, like, selfishly, on a Friday, Trigoski comes in here. He shows up right before. <laughs> you're, you're kind of planning out the show during the day with me, though. And I was thinking, like, all of a sudden, Brianna goes into labor. And you have to go to the hospital. And it, let's say it's like 4.45, right? The show starts at 5. Is is the first phone call you make to <laughs> Brianna's in labor, we're having a baby, is the first phone call or text message you make to me? <laughs> because, like, how would it go? I mean, it's 4.45. You're kind of on your way to the studio. And all of a sudden, sure. you got to turn around and go grab Brianna and take her to the hospital well, or meet her. It's for sure to Brianna's mom. Because Brianna's mom can handle medical situations better than I can. I'm such a wimp when it comes to, like, needles. I'm freaking terrified of needles. I so, mean, are you getting in a car accident on the way to Wisdom as you learn that Brianna's, uh, you're, like, doing a U-turn, trying to text people at the same time? With the screeching be, noise as I turn around. Maybe we, st- maybe we should start chauffeuring you around for the next <laughs> couple of weeks until this baby actually comes, because Brianna will handle it just fine. We yep. don't, how you're going to handle it, we probably shouldn't put you in charge of any uh, machinery, including a vehicle. No, no, I wouldn't do that, and I'm just generally, Gen- generally not helpful right now when it comes to her pregnancy. So, well, don't say that because you're going. I mean, you just spent a couple hours at, at the hospital and doing the sure. whole whatever you're doing. I have no idea. I've never had a well kid. the the ultrasound. But you say you're not helpful. You're you're not helpful in a in a you're a panics probably a, like a a person that panics on stuff like this and yes and maybe lose. Uh, you're 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 Chris Rock. Oh, someone comes up to slap you in the face. You get slapped and you don't know what the what to do. You like, uh, and then you don't have any comebacks. You're supposed to be a witty comedian that comes back with something. Oh man, you know, like whatever, uh, and you just kind of stare stare dumbfounded. When Brianna has the baby, you're Chris Rock. Yeah, that's pretty much how I expect it to go, and that's why. And Brianna is Will Smith in this situation. <laughs> Anthony, psh, I'm having a baby. She would absolutely do that, by the way. And by the way, Rick, that is why mother-in-law is going to be there. Because yeah. I am not going to be helpful. Mother-in-law will be much more helpful. And, you know, guys, we just have to admit it, that we are not all that helpful in the delivery room. Well, we're not helpful in this whole process. We're not our, helpful our in the whole process. Our contribution to this, I think uh, Jim Gaffigan or, or somebody made this joke, our, our contribution to this whole thing is like two minutes of work, <laughs> if that. I mean, really, like five five seconds. If you want to give me one second, I don't know. Depending on who you are, I don't have a whole lot of experience in this, but 
<laughs> Anthony is, is huddled over in a uh, you know, the rest of this is nine months of, 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 of the woman building a baby and then the birth, which is the most extreme thing I can think of the conceivable to, to yeah. humankind or, or a- animal kind or whatever to, to nature. Um, and then ours is what we have to hold their hand, maybe. Pretty much. And and don't, can you not grip my hand? Too? You know, like we don't, definitely don't say that. Yeah. So, 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. When we come back with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski, we're going to talk about Michael Gableman, the guy that's running the Wisconsin uh, probe into the election that was two years ago, a year and a half ago, I guess. Maybe he was hanging out with Tommy Thompson at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> well, did he go? He went to Mar-a-Lago too. Because both of too. them were at Mar-a-Lago recently. Uh, and then, and then he's on Steve Bannon's podcast. Steve Bannon may be the. Uh, I don't know. I just the, the, when you look at Steve Bannon, it's just like oof, uh, you get the shivers when I see he should be in scary movies. Uh, yeah, of all places to go, Steve Bannon's podcast. We're gonna talk about Governor Evers doing some Friday news drops. How many Friday news drops did we get today? Governor Evers, Governor vetoes Evers vetoes and signings. I guess signs. Um, this this story about Gableman. This is was, the Gableman it story came out last night. I I saw it today, or the, I might have saw it this morning. Yep. Uh, so it's it's still a Friday news drop. So some so. trouble in paradise between Robin Voss, the Assembly Speaker, and Michael Gableman. Yeah, and we'll talk about the local quote unquote nonpartisan elections <laughs> that happen on Tuesday. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Jagoski on with me. We're gonna talk about the quote unquote nonpartisan local elections that happen on Tuesday where we saw uh, school board and county board races. And I, I guess let's just do, let's just, I, I do air quotes, nonpartisan uh, local elections because they just, they, they're partisan now. That's yep. how we've, yep. we have one party funding it and we have both parties have their, have their hands involved. Okay. Is, is that uh, the, 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 take the funding out of it at this point, the Democrats and Republican parties in the county having their hands involved in the quote unquote nonpartisan elections. Is that normal? No, uh, especially the level of involvement that we saw. Of course, political parties are going to try to influence the process wherever they can, but there are certain places where they can have more of an effect than others. And when they lack a party label on the ballot, just by definition, they're going to have a hard time influencing the elections. So I would say I was startled and disturbed by the level of party involvement. I expect some to happen. I thought too much happened in this election, and I, you know, have this old-fashioned view, Rick. I guess that nonpartisan races should be nonpartisan. All right. So the level of involvement, and the okay, with the GOP funding candidates, even before they become candidates, we had uh, flyers, but it, we have endorsements. Is endorsements abnormal? Just like uh, we're going to have Republicans and Democrats in the in the county, they on their party pages, they're endorsing candidates. That is also not something that always happens, especially, Rick, because a lot of these elections don't really match what political parties do. I always ask, and I always say, that political parties can help provide information. If a candidate is a Republican, we know something about what they stand for. If a, Demo- if a candidate is a Democrat, we know something about what they stand for. But if the office is not really related to partisan politics, then are voters really learning anything by having it become a partisan race? I'll give you the example of the school boards. Is the 
position of a school board member closely tied to the function of a political party? I would say no. I don't think a lot of what school boards do relates to the traditional lines of conflict between the two parties. Sure, some of it will, but a lot of being a school board member is just kind of doing boring managerial stuff. And oh, yeah, the school board, l- listening to school board meetings on terrible. Monday night is so boring. I yeah. make Sam White do it for us. I'm like, <laughs> Sam, can you cover this? Because I, and then, and then it's financial stuff. And she's like, Rick, I covered it. I don't know what they were talking about. It's beyond me. So yeah, school board raise, school board meetings uh, on a Monday night in lacrosse, uh, pretty boring. So we should be basing our vote, Rick, not on political party, but on knowledge of budget issues, knowledge of the institutions of the school, knowledge of the education system. We should be electing the most knowledgeable pe- knowledgeable people we can, as opposed to people who are ideologues or partisans. That's not going to be helpful when they're dealing with complicated issues. Well, some pushback here when you say school board race, nonpartisan, um, the the parties, if you go higher, fed, federally, mm-hmm. statewide, mm-hmm. they've made that a, a tagline for running in November, right? In August, in the primaries, like the, we have to take back our schools. I think that's one of the Republican taglines. It might be a Democratic tagline as, as well. And I just take back from what? Like, what do we like? But we've we've blown this issue up, even though I don't think we really understand how that's happening. Rick, there's a fascinating thing going on where people think that their own local schools are great, but the schools elsewhere are bad. It's the schools around the state, not in my community, but in other places that are problematic. It's a strange view that involves people having certain panics about education and the educational system and what are kids learning, even as they have confidence in their local school district. So I think with school board, it was completely inappropriate, and both sides were guilty of this, Rick. It's not that one side was to blame or the other side was to blame. This is something that both the Democrats and Republicans went way too far in getting involved in school boards. It was terrible for the system. Well, how do we fix this? Because this is only and there's gonna, no real way to fix it. Yeah. Though. And this is only going to escalate yeah. because from what from what I know is uh, I've seen some of these flyers. Mm-hmm. So I don't if you're going to make flyers for yourself, Anthony Jagowski wants to bullet points. Here's what I want to do to run for school board, whatever. That's fine. But when you're going to have if you're running against me, if Anthony Jagowski is going to have flyers that are anti-Rick Solom and have nothing to do with you. Don't even say Rick Solom's anti-police and pro-gun or I don't know, whatever. And then those flyers get out and it's like, okay, well, and then a party is funding these flyers because that's what happened in lacrosse. One of the the political parties is funding, uh, what what do you want to call them? Like um, negative flyers. campaign materials, yeah. Yeah, against an opponent. And you can see, if you go to Facebook pages, you can see those people promote those flyers on their page. Um, so there's that. I feel like that's over the line, like negative flyers about other people. Also, just funding, because if, if the Republican Party is funding candidates, mm-hmm. the next step is for the Republic, or the Democrat Party to go, okay, well, we have to keep up, so yep. we have to fund. And then what's after that? More funding. And then it'll just be tens of thousands of dollars for a, a school board race. Yeah, as, as a political scientist, this whole process, this whole spiral is entirely predictable. So when one party gets in, it is completely in the other side's interest to also get involved. And then they keep upping the ante. They keep spending more and more. And both sides have to match each other. And if they don't match each other, then they're giving up an advantage to the other side. It's a spiral 
that leads to nonpartisan races becoming partisan. I always say that when we get involved in political party business, then brains start turning off and people stop thinking critically about politics in ways that we really should be thinking critically about politics when it comes to especially these local and school board elections. Uh, partisan politics is a great way to, uh, to I, I would say that it's brain poison, like partisan politics. And then nonpartisan politics should be about judging the candidates objectively on their stances and not saying, oh, this guy's a Republican. I'll vote for him. This guy's a Democrat. I'll vote for him. Yeah, the idea that both parties endorse candidates and then essentially had cheat sheets. If you went to their pages, yeah, they had that was che- terrible. It you was have, just terrible. We just have cheat sheets. Here's the highlight of all the candidates, and we'll highlight who yep. you should vote for if you're following this page or this party. I would say, in my theory, is in the in the city of Lacrosse at least. If your county is gonna, we're gonna do this rural city divide. Coming from a dude that lives rural, me and being uh, more of a lefty than than a righty. When when it comes to the city of Lacrosse, if the Republican Party is gonna hijack and give you the cheat sheet on who to vote for, the Democrats would say, have to do that too. Then. Well, no, I yeah. would say the Republicans are hurting themselves because if they just stayed oh, sure, out sure, of stayed sure. out of it altogether, like just didn't. You you wanna you wanna talk to all or talk to all the candidates? Do the same thing. Like get get the opinions of all the candidates and put all the all the opinions out there. But don't don't take a stance on any one candidate. As Republicans in the city of Lacrosse, which leans probably heavily leans Democrat, right? Sure. Uh, they would have been better off. I think they would have been better off keeping their mouth shut because then I can't just go. Where's my cheat sheet? Because as a as a Demo- if I'm a hard Democrat, and I go. Oh, okay. Well, if I don't want to look at the Repu- if I don't want to look at the Democratic Party cheat sheet, I can go to the Republican Party cheat sheet and go, "Oh, that's all these highlighted names are who I shouldn't vote." For. Yeah, a couple of things about that, Rick. So, this really this strategy really helped the Republicans in the suburbs of Milwaukee. Those contests in the suburbs of Milwaukee were heavily partisan, heavily politicized, and that resulted in conservative suburbs of Milwaukee electing conservative Republicans as school board members. But when it came to La Crosse and Eau Claire, it may have had that backfire effect that you're talking about, where making these partisan elections actually did advantage the Democrats, cause the Democratic-backed candidates to win. So I think it had different effects in La Crosse and Eau Claire versus the more conservative suburbs of Milwaukee. Yeah, it's going to work someplace, not going to work yeah. in others. Uh, Gary's calling in. Let's wait here, Gary. Uh, Gary, go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, hey, you too. Hi, Professor. Um, I, I, you know, I'm so glad that the professor voiced his opinion on this because this was the worst election I ever took part in. Mm-hmm. It was sick, the amount of, and they say nonpartisan, and I'm so happy that my district, based on what you did for somebody and not politics or not party line, because I actually am an independent, it's it's pretty clear that I lean left on a lot of things, but um, uh, there was a group uh, professor. I don't know if you got a flyer called Wisconsin Conservation Inc. or something like that. Sure. And and, and they actually sent out flyers. They sent out in my district. At least our house got them. And other neighbors told me a week before the election, the Friday before the election, and the day of the election. And what really bothered me about them is. They said they were nonpartisan, and they never, ever gave a lot of us candidates a questionnaire. I mean, I, they talked about clean water. I worked 20 out of 22 and a half years with the city providing good quality clean water. 
I'm on the Bluffland Preservation Committee, the Wasteland, the Wastewater Committee with the county. I sponsored legislation to save Boulevard trees. I helped find funding for solar panels for the library, city hall, and the lacrosse center. I voted no twice on roads through the marsh. How could that group say that they are backing people with their ideals as far as conservation, and they did their research on the candidates, and they never even gave me the courtesy of filling out a form? Yeah, thanks Thanks for the call, Gary. Uh, one more call before we go to break. Uh, caller, who's this? Uh, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, go ahead. You're on the air with Dr. Chagoski. I was just curious about the uh, endorsements by Rebecca Clayfish, how that fared around the state. Yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead. That's a really good question. It was a mixed bag, as we talked about. Uh, certain candidates and Rebecca Clayfish. Over, who's Rebecca Clayfish? Uh, she, former lieutenant governor, lieutenant governor under Scott Walker, current Republican contender for the nomination for governor. Uh, along with a couple other Republicans in the field. And she was really aggressive in endorsing candidates around the state for a school board. And it was a mixed bag. Uh, As we said, I think the results were really predictable based on the ideology of the area. So as a political scientist, it's really hard to separate out how much her endorsement mattered versus just how much, hey, this area is 60% Republican, so the Republican got 60% of the vote. But is there thing. some of that where Rebecca Clayfish says, vote for these people, and then, oh, Rebecca Clayfish, it the R next message. to her name. Yep. Therefore, oh, she yep. says, those are the R's that I need to vote for. So I think it's a combination of things. It may Her endorsement may have activated people's partisanship in the sense that it triggered, oh, there's a Republican in this race, and the other person must be a Democrat. And that could have affected how people thought about these races, just as the party endorsements in La Crosse, Eau Claire, suburbs of Milwaukee had different effects depending on the party that kind of has the advantage in those areas and the involvement of the parties in being really aggressive in endorsing in school boards. Can the can can the well we gotta get we gotta get the break. I was gonna ask you if the state legislature could get involved in a way to get Politics, they can't even do this with drawing district lines, so let alone, uh, they, they probably definitely don't want to do that as we get, hey, can you guys, you know, maybe see yourselves out of the nonpartisan races? That'd be great. Anyway, Scott's comment coming up. Brad doing the news. We'll continue this conversation in a bit. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Forgot to put the music in, but that's because we're ranting and raving. We were just rambling on. Forgot the bumper music. The, the show, the show in between the show is always, always fun and interesting, too. Um, yeah, I was, I, you know, it was kind of a, I knew it was a dumb thought that right before break, just we were talking about quote unquote nonpartisan elections and uh, when, when this stuff's going to snowball, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way the, the parties in the area, your local Republican and Democratic parties and maybe other parties like come up, come about from this as well. I mean, sure. Gary Podesky, who's a council member, uh, a county board member, I mean, uh, calls in and talks about like an outside group getting involved in the race. That's that's also weird. Like it's yep. a, like, for, for and that's why we have like no no confidence in anything we read anymore. Like you get a I get a flyer in the mail and just be like I just roll my eyes at it. I mean, but if you get a flyer in the mail about somebody like I mean I, I feel like that 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 does take somebody's attention. It, I mean, they must work for some people. It does because of people's confirmation bias, Rick and. Confirmation bias is very well established academically. It means that people tend to be more attentive, more motivated to understand. 
they treat information more credibly when it reflects something that they already believe. Yeah, some of the flyers that I, I saw, the, the negative flyers yeah. at candidates, were, were ludicrous. Like, I was like, okay, well, that, that isn't even true. And you're going after private citizens now. They're going after a private citizen, linking that private citizen to a county board member running in an election, and then it's paid for by, and then you can see on the bottom who's paid for paid by. Paid for by some incredibly mysterious-sounding group that right. you don't or, know who the heck they are. Or a group that's very, you know, who... Or a and, well-known group. But, but yeah. then uh, some of the flyers I saw were, like, white on white, you know, white and then gray, paid for by, but you could barely read who it was paid for by. Sure. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so it's just it just seems crazy. And... Party involvement in these nonpartisan elections, you know, it'd be nice if the state legislature could step in and go, hey, we're going to curtail some of your party involvement. Because, But but why would Republicans and Democrats in in the statewide, you know, they're they're Republicans and Democrats. They want that that stuff to start at the grassroots level, at the at the local level and trickle up to them. So they want they want all the power they can get. Well, the state legislature, they are professional members of political parties. Right. So they're not going to try to take power away from their political parties right. by passing reforms that actually make these nonpartisan elections nonpartisan. So yeah. that'll never happen. And my my thought before we went to break, I didn't I didn't even put it out there, but we talked about during the the, the halftime here. Um, just the the idea that hey can you can you make some rules where the local parties don't get involved in nonpartisan races? But you said first freedom of speech, first yeah, amendment. freedom of speech, freedom of expression. The parties can say whatever they but want. But you did say there there could be some rules monetarily. Right? Yeah, I mean you could you could I mean I would I I would be interested in looking at the campaign finance angle. What could be done to maybe limit or alter or regulate or whatever word you want to use something to adjust how parties can get involved financially in these elections what about these flyers that are just untrue like some group that you don't ever hear of gary kind of talked about it and i don't know if the whatever gary was talking about was like it wasn't going after him per se i don't think but if you if you make a it's tragoski versus solom in a school board race and the anti-Solom flyer has a bunch of negative, non-true, just like blasphemy, like just they're all lies. There's almost certainly nothing that the government can do about that. Now, there is an example right now in Pennsylvania. Beheadings. I think if we could do we could beheadings. We could do beheadings yeah. or the guillotine. Guillotine, yeah. yeah. Well, there is an example in Pennsylvania right now where there's an ad in, in the Senate race there that is so egregiously false that TV stations are refusing to air it. Now, private media companies can do that. But in terms of government regulation of what people can say, you get back uh, to the freedom yeah, of speech you get again, back to right? The First, First Amendment. Amendment. We yep. can say whatever we want, no matter how untrue sure, it is. Sure. I mean, look at our yeah. look at uh, all the, the social media right now, uh, meme media. All right, let's move on to to we we talked about Steve Bannon and Michael Gableman, the guy running the uh, 2020 presidential election investigation in Wisconsin. Still, uh, that was supposed to end December in December, right? And now it's April. Right, it's April. Uh, April, April. Uh, he's getting paid eleven thousand dollars a month. I think a, a Friday news drop that we didn't get to last week was we spent one hundred sixty-two thousand dollars on this investigation when the budget is like seven hundred thousand dollars, right? Of tax, all taxpayer paid. Right. Uh, so we haven't gotten to the seven. We throw that seven hundred thousand dollar number out there, but we haven't paid that amount. Mo- we haven't paid that amount yet. We haven't quite reached that amount, but we're certainly getting there. And the state assembly has racked up about a one. $150,000 in legal fees related to this election investigation, related to lawsuits and public information requests in this 
investigation. So we've wa- r- racked up well over a hundred thousand dollars of legal fees fighting different right. issues here. It's yeah. funny too because the the partisan politics of I, f- I feel like all the lawyers are in cahoots about all. Oh, this. I always say like the big winners in these battles are the lawyers in Madison. Yeah, because they just fight on both each sides. Other. Yeah, on they, both sides. The I, Democratic lawyers are big winners. The Republican lawyers are big winners. They're all smoking cigars in the back room together. Uh, hey, what do you want to shoo us about today? <laughs> and I don't know what the, I don't know what that impression was, but. Uh, you know, and then we'll get our lawyers involved, and it'll all be paid for by the taxpayers. They're all buttonheads. Governor Evers is going to sue uh, Donald Trump, and who's going <laughs> to pay for those lawyers? Yeah. All of us. We're going to pay for both sides just of it. pulling the strings, like plotting which lawsuits each side is going to file against the right. other side. Yeah, that's what they're doing. And then the lawyers, I don't know how the lawyers kick it back down to, you know, like the Robin Vosses or the the, the, the Tony Everses. Um, but yeah, like, what, what do they care? I mean, I feel like they should have some stake in the lawsuits they have. And then, and then we'll see, man, I could have a whole bunch of lawsuits, uh, you know, based on the callers that I get sometimes I'm going to sue you like, but I'm not because I don't, I can't afford a lawyer, but if the taxpayers are going to pay for the lawyers, Hey, why not? Let's sue them. Who cares? Yeah. It's just an example of being loose with taxpayer money. And the goal of Michael Gableman is to continue his investigation into the 2020 election. As you noted, no. Continue it into the 2024 or 2022. Or 2022. I mean, for I basically continue it indefinitely. I, right. Robin Voss, the Speaker of the Assembly, the Republican Speaker of the Assembly, seems to want to end this thing within three weeks. Robin Voss apparently wants to take down the office in Brookfield that Cableman's working out of, which, as we have noted on this show, Rick, is between a uh, marriage counselor and a uh, plastic surgeon where the investigation. Well, Robin Voss is getting sued because they're <laughs> checking all his emails and text messages. And right. he probably is like, I want to end this because I'm sick of giving up all my deleted emails and text messages. We did this show last week where, mm-hmm. uh, man, you're, and we learned like, right. He deleted between 10 and 20,000 emails. And yeah. I, the text I got when I talked about this the other day was Hillary's emails and all the sure. emails that she deleted. Sure. And definitely like, absolutely, why we, you shady people keep, Deleting all your emails, well, stop deleting them because clearly you're doing something nefarious. Any public official, doesn't matter which party they are, needs to understand what they're doing with public information, public records. Public officials probably shouldn't get to delete emails and texts that no. have to that come from their public official phones, right? No, they and shouldn't. Then, and then going beyond that, when we start emailing, uh, you know, the personal emails and the mm-hmm. personal because they're not stupid. At some point, and they hey, shouldn't be using personal emails for government business, right? But when yeah. we're doing election investigations, and we want want to talk about something you know eh, we got to do this off the record hey don't right. text me call me i gotta do this right um anyway we go to the phones here uh caller who's this hey rick this is kevin hey kevin speaking. you're on with dr chugowski go ahead yeah i got a question for for, for the doc for the good doctor yeah one question that um doctor what were some of the surprises that you saw on the county board race uh, who are a couple of names maybe that that stuck out stuck out to you that got beat and also rick i thought there was a great conversation you're having with gary Podeski. i'd like to i'd like to hear that in, in its entirety sometime oh yeah gary i had to cut gary off thanks for the call i had to cut gary off because we had to go to break and gary texted me he said i had more to say and i and i text gary back and i go gary i have a show we could do it any day of the week he's on the county board i bring county board people on to talk about different issues uh, and we definitely could talk about that as as well as other county board stuff. But yeah, you're, you you want to give your general opinion on yeah, the county board I'm, election? I mean, I, I I don't know about specific names so much as I'm surprised. And Joe Hine mentioned this, um, uh, Mike Hayes' show earlier this week about 
the incumbents who were defeated. And it's extremely rare in local elections for incumbents to get defeated. There's an enormous incumbency advantage. There's an enormous incumbency advantage in local elections. And I think Joe made a good point about how the turnover can be good in the sense that it provides some new blood on the county board, right? I don't think it's healthy for a political institution to just have the same people there indefinitely for decades and decades. I think turnover tends to be a good thing for elected offices and for political institutions. So I I, I think on its face, I mean, I'm not upset at all about the turnover, about turnover in theory. I would be concerned if the turnover was driven by political parties getting involved in nonpartisan races. So the question I would ask, and I honestly don't have a good answer to this, is what drove the turnover on the county board, the change in perspectives, the change in ideologies, the incumbents that were defeated, what caused that? And if it was because the incumbent was doing a poor job or because the voters wanted a different perspective on the board or they wanted some new ideas, then that is great. That's exactly how a democracy works. If it was just because the Democratic and Republican parties both got engaged in an election and made it a partisan election, then I'm a lot less enthusiastic about that kind of outcome. Yeah, Brad wrote this uh, after the election. Seven new Lacrosse County uh, board members. And that's that's good. 19 races were contested, mm-hmm. uh, but there were three county board members of these seven were in districts where incumbents retired. So sure. we had an open seat, right? That's yep. what that's called. And then a fourth out of the seven was a new district altogether because we right. added a district because of redistricting. R- uh, rural Lacrosse County, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to take one more quick break. We'll be back. Very selfishly, we're getting a text here that says uh, Highway 53 by the Lacrosse River, an accident. So uh, avoid the area. Avoid selfishly, like we both might be headed that way. Yeah, in, that's that's in, my route back to in seven back minutes, home. and yeah. that's the only reason. No, if you want to send traffic updates anytime, six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Appreciate it, uh, Patrick. If, if hopefully, I got it right, but I, I I think that's by Festival Foods, right up here, right north of downtown. Yeah, it's right in our neck of the woods here, down in. Highway uh, 53 by the Lacrosse River. That's yeah. the uh, that's the text I'm getting. Anyway, uh, Ron Johnson's birthday today. Happy birthday, oh, really? Ron Johnson! Yeah. Um, I I did see like Alex Lazary, who's running against him. You know, wishing him a happy birthday in the most democratic oh, way. Trolling him you know, a little bit, like is you know just going after some of his policies. Hopefully, Ron doesn't get his birthday wish. It was something yeah. like that. Uh, we talked about Gableman. We we buried the the Friday news dump. M- Governor Evers, Evers had like seventy or eighty election bills to well, sign. He he basically had all of these bills that had piled up on his desk from the state legislature and announced today what he did with like seventy of those bills. Because the state legislature is which is adjourned for the year three four weeks ago now. Right. Uh, they did a cramming session, I would say maybe the last three weeks of their session, where they're passed hundreds of bills uh, where you cannot even keep up with uh, how many things are going on in the state legislature, which is by design, I think, a little bit. First of all, we, we cram all this work into three weeks so we can just take a nine-month vacation and hit the campaign trail. Hit the, hit the campaign trail. And then uh, all the all the bills that Evers vetoed or passed today, we'll yep. use as the campaign as campaign fodder. Look at Governor Evers signed my bill. Look at Governor Evers is going after he he vetoed this bill, and we're going to talk about it for nine months instead of you know 
going back into the legislature, maybe calling a special session because the Republicans are, can do that and the state sure. legislature Democrats can't because mm-hmm. the Republicans clearly ignore that. They could do that. Hey, we could go back to the drawing board, maybe create a different bill that maybe Governor Evers will sign, or you could just rail about it on the campaign trail for nine months. Yeah, or, or do what the Republicans in the Minnesota State Senate are doing and come up with a plan for their surplus instead of having it collect dust in the state bank account. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think the Minnesota, my state, has a nine billion dollar tax surplus so my tax money is nine and so uh, republicans have created a bill in the senate that would give this money back permanently in different ways Mm -hmm. uh meanwhile republicans in wisconsin decided we're not going to give this money back until maybe our governor that we like wins an election and then we'll decide how we give it back what i like about what the republicans in minnesota are doing is that they've put a proposal forward and people can agree or disagree with that proposal But they have a serious proposal about what should be done with the Minnesota budget surplus. Now, here, we're not really having a debate because we don't know what the competing proposals even are to deal with the Wisconsin budget surplus. Yeah, Governor Evers gave a proposal. He has a proposal. Uh, We're going to give some of it to education. We're going to give $150 checks. We're going to give $150 checks back to everybody. And I don't remember if there was anything else. A lot of that money was going to go back to education. There were some other things. Uh, nitty gritty, but uh, like billions to educate or millions to education, most of it back in $150 checks. And Republicans' proposal was they did not have a proposal, and that's why I think that the Minnesota Senate Republicans should be part time too. Yeah, full part time state legislature in Minnesota. I think they should be applauded for putting a proposal forward, and it can be debated. It can be picked apart. The Democrats can offer a competing proposal, and we can argue about it. Just as we should in a democracy. We can try to reach a compromise just as we should in a democracy, as opposed to what we've got in Wisconsin. Governor Evers did hold a special session for this, and we right. could, and the Republicans decided not to debate the $5 billion surplus, $4.8 billion. Yeah, and at least, but they're having a debate in Minnesota. Like, I mean, it's a really low bar that, right. you well, know. you guys... But but they're part time, so yeah. this might be overtime. For I them. mean, I it know. is a really low bar to reach. Like, wow, you're actually debating public policy issues in your government. I mean, anyone out there listening should be like a little bit outraged that there's five billion dollars in the piggy bank. Yeah. The only problem I have with the Minnesota deal is it's permanent tax cuts. Yeah. And if we have a nine billion dollar tax surplus from this year. Well, are, is, is that $9 billion coming back to me because I want it back now? What if I move out of the state next week? Yeah, if ju- I move to Wisconsin, do I get that $9 billion that I contributed to, whatever my – you know, it's probably like $70. But am I getting that back or am I just going to lose that because you pass permanent tax cuts as opposed to giving the $9 billion back immediately? That's a really important question. Like is this structural or is this temporary? Now, I did see Jeremy Miller – Jeremy Miller, the state senator from Winona, who's the Republican leader, said it is kind of structural where they are projecting surpluses several years out. And so permanent tax relief in that sense would be appropriate from his point of view. And that's a fair point to make. If he thinks that these are structural surpluses, then you can make permanent tax cuts as a reasonable proposal. But I mean, this is something that should come to light if we actually had serious debate in right. Wisconsin between the two sides. And then the other half of that argument was like, oh, the the gimmick for Democrats is to yeah. give the to give uh, not permanent tax right. cuts. And I'm like, well, the gimmick is that there's nine billion dollars from the last year right. that we want now. We, we want, want that money back. Yeah, now. that is the people's money. It's not the government's money. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks. And thanks, Trigoski. And have a great weekend, everybody.